What a blessing to be uh, at the Libby Christian Church. Um, gosh, well, there's just so many memories that we have. Uh, I, uh, I got lots to tell you, but I, I'm reminded about so many things that, that have happened here. I, I remember when I did Lori, uh, Jereen Wilkins' sister's wedding. Chip Maupin was the youth minister here then, and uh, they had told us that when you, uh, it is on Bobtail Cutoff, that was the directions they gave us, just drive down Bobtail Cutoff, and you know, well, I had no idea, hadn't been here that long as I remember, didn't know where Bobtail Cutoff was anyway, and so I took off, they said if you go past a beer joint on the right where they sell pizza, then you'll know you've gone too far. You can turn around, come back, and, and zip right in on Bobtail Cutoff. Well, don't you know, uh, the, it had closed down. All the signs were gone, and we drove, Chip and I drove right on by uh, whatever the name of that place is up there. And uh, we wound up 40 minutes later at uh, uh, um, Dirty Sally's. The wedding was supposed to be at 2 o'clock, and now it's about uh, quarter till. And so I went into the beer joint, and I called Lori, and I said, uh, Lori, we're lost. She said, where are you? And I said, we're at the dirty shame. And she said, dirty shame? And you could hear the echo, dirty shame, dirty shame, dirty shame. What's, he, <laughs> what's a preacher doing at the dirty shame? <laughs> so I, I, uh, I said to the fellow, who was the bartender, I assume, uh, we're supposed to be at a wedding at the Bobtail Cutoff, and uh, we're supposed to be there at 2 o'clock. And he said, well, I'm sorry to tell you, but the wedding will be over by the time you get back. And I said, no, it won't either. They can't do it without me. So, you know, we drove all the way back. I told Lori to get her, uh, her guests and entertain them for a period of time, and she did that. And uh, you, you, those of you who know, uh, known of Lori, uh, she passed away sometime after that, and I told that story at her funeral. When we, when we left here um, some time ago, I had been persuaded to go to Missoula to uh, help uh, get the church into a building. And so my wife and I uh, took off down there, you know, she's... She is such a blessing to me. Uh, she's just followed me all uh, wherever I led her. And, and gosh, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about her in a little bit. But uh, so we went uh, to Missoula to help them get into a church building. And we raised $50,000. We had a miracle Sunday, raised $50,000, built a building. And after about three or four years, we decided that... Um, we would, uh, and, uh, Jim Putman, who uh, along with our son Aaron started uh, Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, they called and said, we want you to come and be on staff here. And I said to those guys, uh, you know, I, I, we're very happy here. The church is up to about 200 or so and, and was going great and they were in a new building and all that kind of stuff. And uh, <clears throat> so, uh, Aaron called me, and he said, Dad, 
Uh, you took me away from my grandparents, and I would like for you, my, grand, my children, to be around their grandparents. And then he went and told Jim, I think I got him. <laughs> and little did he know that he did. And so we moved to Post Falls, and we were on staff there for several years. Uh, I became the marriage counselor there and uh, counseled with about 3,500 couples in the in the church. So <clears throat> if you want me to tell you some hairy stories, I can tell you some stories about uh, that. But, you know, the truth is that I had never planned on being in ministry. Um, not long after we were there, I, I'm getting ahead of myself here. We were there for a while, and Aaron came to me one day and said, uh, Dad, I'm going, I want to go plant a church. And I thought, oh, gosh, here we go again. And uh, he said, uh, I want to go to Moscow and plant a church. Uh, the church was running, I think, about 2,500 or so there at Post Falls at that time, maybe more. I, I don't remember. It might have been six or 8,000. That's what it runs now, I guess. But <clears throat> so I said, well, you know what? I need to talk to your mom. And I'm thinking to myself, now Eileen is not going to want to leave her grandkids here. And uh, um, I actually, we were taking our grandkids with us. She's not going to want to uproot again and go uh, down to Moscow to plant a church. So uh, I went home and I said, Aaron wants to plant a church in Moscow and he wants us to go with him. And she said, well, when are we going? And I said, that ain't what I wanted to hear. So needless to say, we were in Moscow 12 years. We, uh, we had three campuses there, bought a mall that has four restaurants in it. Uh, they still, the church is still going great there. Uh, and uh, then uh, Aaron decided he had two churches that were looking for him to come and be their pastor, large churches, and he's called me in one day and said, uh, Dad, I, I uh, hate to tell you this, but I'm going, we're going either to Denver, Colorado, or Seattle. We're not sure which. We're, we're still weighing that. And I said, thanks a lot, brother. And so my wife and I had decided that we would go to Kalispell to live close to our kids. We're getting a bit older, you know. Uh, 39 is quite old these days. And so uh, we decided that we were going to go over to Kalispell. Frank, our son-in-law, as you know, is the pastor at Family Life Christian Church there. I was going to probably help him in the church and maybe put my shingle out and do some counseling there with couples or whatever. And I heard about this little church in Pablo, and to make a long story short, they, they said, oh, gosh, when are you coming? When can you come? Uh, we think there's going to be 100 people that will come if you're there. And when I got there, I found out that, that they had had some Sundays where they had five or six people that were there. And I felt like that I was all alone. And then COVID hit. And there were some Sundays I doubted what God had put on our heart. And I, uh, I got on my knees in the office one day and I said, Lord, you know, you called us here. So you got to send us people. Well, to make a long story short, we were there three years. Church is running about 100. Our grandson, Frank and Pam's 
youngest biological son is now the pastor there. And uh, he is doing a great job. And we have this little log house in Kyla, Montana, where we sit on the back porch in the sunlight in the evening and watch the deer and the turkeys. And on occasion, I've scared a few of them. Um, we, are, we are now uh, in our last, we believe, in our last home. Now, the reason that I retired, I actually never thought that I would ever be a pastor. In fact, the first time that Eileen and I saw each other, I was fresh out of the hills of Kentucky, had gotten a job. They teach the three R's in Kentucky, reading, writing, and road to Ohio. And I learned the last one really well. We went to, uh, I went to Ohio to find a job, got a job, bought myself a fine set of clothes. When Eileen and I met for the first time, I had oxblood patent leather shoes on. I had uh, big striped bell-bottom trousers on. And I had a big checked shirt. And she took one look at me, and I could see it written all over her face. She was thinking, I can fix that. And I'm here to tell you, folks, I have not bought a, a piece of clothing for myself in over 50 years. <laughs> when I would do revivals, even when I was here in uh, Libby, uh, she would get all of my suits together and ties and all that kind of stuff. And before I left, she would say, if you move one tie from one suit over to the other, you're going to be in trouble when you get home. And I always tried to follow that. Now, she and I haven't always agreed on everything. Uh, she listens to me preach and teach, and you know how preachers' wives are. If you don't, you, I'm going to give you a little clue. They don't always agree with what we say. Now, she and I are right, and by the way, uh, before I tell you that story, I've got to finish the other one. I, what I decided after my wife, see, when you get old, People will just let you do anything. You can ramble all over the place. It, it don't really matter. And so I'm rambling right now. Um, one of the things that I have since determined about uh, girls, when they come down the aisle, they have their eyes on three things. The aisle, the altar, and him. And they're thinking, I'll alter him. <laughs> and that has been the case. I'm telling you, I am not the same person that she married 58 years ago. When she says, why did you put that on? I say, oops. Uh, I go back to the closet and come back out with something else. Now, um, you know, one of the reasons that, that I got out of ministry or retired, I'm not out of ministry. And, uh, you know, old preachers never die. They just smell that way. But... <laughs> When, when I decided to, uh, that it was no longer, I was no, should no longer uh, be in ministry, I had a funeral for one of our elders. And uh, when I got up to speak, I couldn't remember his name. Now I'll bet some of you can relate to this. You know, around our house, we're always asking, have you seen my phone? 
Can you call my phone? And we're fortunate we have it on ring instead of silence so that when we punch in the, the number, it comes up. And, uh, you know, I have a macular degeneration. I can't see out of my right eye. So most of the time I have, I have people to read the scripture that I'm going to preach from. I didn't do that today because I got lots of bright lights up here. And I got the big print. That, that helps out a great deal. But that reminds me, though, as we get older, the things that happened to us, of this couple that was in the nursing home. Uh, they knew each other and gotten acquainted at the, at the breakfast table and lunch and that kind of stuff. And they kind of got sweet on each other. He came down the steps one day and he said to her, she was sitting in the foyer, I know I asked you to marry me yesterday, but for the life of me, I can't remember what you said. <laughs> and she said, well, it's a good thing you said something because I knew somebody had asked me, but I couldn't remember who it was. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? You know, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 7, I, I might just as well go on and leave the scriptures out today, Dean, you think? Um, Deuteronomy chapter 34, I think it's verse 7, says that Moses at 120 had all of his faculties. He could see well, he could hear well, and I'm thinking to myself, it ain't fair, Lord, it ain't fair. I watch my son preach every week. He, has, he televises his church service from... Uh, from Colorado. Never uses a note, memorizes everything. And I told him one time, I said, you know what? It just makes me sick watching you preach. Well, what's wrong, Dad? I never had the ability to do that. I was always attached to my notes, and I still am. But a fellow decided that he was going to take his preacher to the nursing home and uh, remind him about how many times he had been to the nursing home to visit folks and just kind of elaborate on how busy he'd been and how many accolades the preacher should give him. So as they walked in, he saw this little old lady against the wall over there in her wheelchair, and he walked right over to her and put his face right down in hers, and he said, do you know who I am? And she patted him on the hand and said, no, honey, but if you'll go up there to the nurse's station, they'll help you figure out who you are. And that said, I just love old people. And the older I get, the more I love them. Because uh, I know what they're going through. Two couple, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going overtime here. You, you don't have Sunday school or anything after church, so you might just as well kick your kickstand back and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get through this before it's over with. A uh, couple sitting on the porch, and he looked at her, big tears in his eyes, and he said, I... Uh, I, I, could, I could never have done without you. And uh, she was leaning her ear over and she looked him right in the eye and said, well, I could have done without you too. <laughs> so sometimes we can't even hear what, we, uh, what we're supposed to hear. Now, I'm, that's enough foolishness. We need to preach. Phil's going to be li listening to this and thinking, when's he ever going to get to the scripture? You know, I just love your preacher. I just love both of your preachers. Now, I've known Deanie since he was knee-high to a grasshopper. Uh, his dad uh, was an elder in our church, and gosh, uh, we have some great stories we could tell. 
uh, greatest bunch of men I ever served with in my life was here. Sunday after Sunday, they would put their arm around me and hug on me and say, Charlie, you know, we just love you. And folks, you need to do that for your preacher. You need to, you need to get up to Phil, and, and, and I don't know if Phil, Phil's uh, circle is great big. You know, some preachers don't want people entering, entering their circle. But uh, you even shake his hand if he's, got a, if he's got a real big circle. But you put your arms around him and say, you know, Phil, we just thank God that you're our preacher. Now I want to ask you a question. If you were going to try to get together all the churches in Libby and have them to serve together, have them not to be Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist or or Episcopalian or whatever, what would you have? To, what would we have to do in order to get them together? Well, today I want to talk to you about that. When I was going over sermon ideas with Phil. I said, you know, I, some time ago when I left uh, Pablo, I preached on the, the uh, restoration movement. He said, oh, that would be a good one. So here we go. How are we going to get people to just call themselves Christians, not be the only Christians, but just Christians only? During the 1700s and 1800s, people flooded into America, much like what they're doing now, only they did it legally back in those days. Take that for what it's worth. Um, my son made a mistake uh, some time ago. I, I love to chase rabbits, so you'll have, to, you'll have to be patient with me. See there again, when you get old, you can just ramble on and on and on. Doesn't matter at all. My son uh, was preaching some time ago, and he was talking about something that, uh, that some politician was doing, and he said... Uh, um, you can't get rid of dumb. Now, when I saw him, I said, how you doing, Aaron? And he said, Dad, I made the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. And he was telling me about saying that. <laughs> um, and I said, well, it sounds to me like somebody needs to apologize. And he did the following Sunday for saying that. But you know, uh, folks, the truth is that that if we're going to get everybody together to just honor Jesus, gosh, I just love the song service today. You have a wonderful worship service. Ray and the crew is doing a great job, and I love the bass. I told Ray, you need to start a quartet. You need to start a men's quartet. I always wanted a men's quartet when I was here in Libby and other places, but um, now I can't remember where I was at. I'll come, I'll, he'll come to me in a little bit. It's on the hard drive, that's what my wellness nurse told me. It's on the hard drive, just give it time, it'll surface back up in a little bit. But if we wanted to have, if we wanted to have a church where we would just call ourselves Christians, just be Christians only, as James DeForce Merch wrote years ago, the book called Christians Only. If we wanted to, uh, uh, call ourselves Christians, what in the world would we have to do? Now that was the dilemma that these guys faced. Presbyterians and Methodists and Baptists and Lutherans and, and what you call it, and the door-to-door -door people and, and all of those, those kind of people. 
they, they were suggesting to them that we call ourselves Christians only. Now, this is what they came up with. They came up with this plea. We call it the restoration plea. Let's restore the Bible or the church back to its original pattern and just call ourselves Christians. This is what they came up with. In matters of essentials, unity. We have to figure out what an essential is. You know, you can't just... You can't just let everybody believe what they want to believe and have no basic doctrine at all. I was riding the plane with a lady once. She had uh, two little kids in front of her, and I asked her, you know, being a preacher, I felt like I should do my preacher duty, so I asked her if she went to church, and she said, yeah. And then she told me she w went to this unified church. And I was curious to find out what that was at, about. She said, uh, we have uh, Buddhists and we have uh, all different kinds of other people and uh, we just experience love. We just love each other. And I said to her, well, what do they believe? And she said, we just believe we need to love each other. And I said, but what do they believe? And she said, we just believe we should love each other. And I said, well, you have to have some kind of a fundamental basic doctrine to start yourself on. You have to figure out what essentials are. And I said, when you were a kid, what church did you go to? I went to this church when I was a kid, and they fell apart like so many churches do. And you know, that's the story of a lot of our churches. We argue over doctrine. We fight over this thing and that thing. I could tell you some horror stories. Mike Warnke talks about this church that he grew up in, and in Paintsburg, Kentucky. They do things different in Kentucky. I can say that because I are one. Um, they got into a squabble, and in the middle of the night, half of the church went and sawed half of the building in two with a chainsaw, top to bottom, all the way around, and moved half of it off onto another place. Now, you talk about a church split. That was a church split right there, if I've ever heard one. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4 as we think about what essentials are and what would we have to do in the restoration movement to restore the Bible and, and the church back to what uh, God intended for it to be, what we believe that he intended it uh, to be. And so these fellows came up with this restoration plea. In matters of essentials, unity. In matters of non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, love. We're to love each other, even if we disagree with each other. No book but the Bible, no creed but Christ. There are all the creed books out and all that kind of stuff because we couldn't agree on that. But we can agree on the scripture, and hopefully when we get through today, you'll have some basic understanding of what I believe that the Lord would want us to do. Paul, in the first, uh, uh, first three verses, and we'll read through those very hurriedly, he says, if you want to be Christians and you want to serve together, this is what you need to do. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, and with all lowliness and gentleness and, and for long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, the church in Kalispell, where we serve with our kids. Just had to disfellowship a couple. 
and uh, they were creating problems. Frank came and talked to me, and I said, well, you know, um, these are the steps. He should have gone through, Matt followed Matthew 18, verses 15 and following. He should have confronted the persons that he disagreed with. He didn't. He started selecting little groups and, and uh, whatever, but the church got together, and folks, I tell you, at the end of that service, people were hugging on one another, and they were loving each other. And many of them said, I've never seen this done before. When it's done right, when we have this spirit of lowliness and gentleness with long-suffering and bearing with one another and endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, the church flourishes. It bubbles like a big Alka-Seltzer. It's like uh, someone said about uh, if you saying that a Christian shouldn't be witnessing for the Lord is like trying to put the atom bomb in a mason fruit jar. You can't have the Lord in your life without walking, endeavoring to imitate him. Do this, Paul says, as I follow the Lord. Now, here are the essentials that I want to draw your attention to. For there is one body, this is verse 4, and one spirit, just as you were called uh, to one hope of your calling. One Lord. There's only one Lord. As I tried to share with this lady, there's only one Lord. You can't have, as uh, some of the uh, Eastern religions have, they're polytheistic. They have hundreds of gods that they worship. Which one are you going to honor? Well, Paul says there's only one. Jesus is the only one. I grew up in a very legalistic church. Um, it was all about studying the Bible. And folks, I'm an advocate. If you look at my Bible, you'll see that it's marked up from beginning to end. I preached a lot of sermons from this Bible and three others that are worn out. But the, but the bottom line is, as Jesus said in John chapter 5, you can study the scriptures daily but they are they which speak of me. If you are not being drawn closer to the Lord and you know all kinds of scriptures, then um, it isn't going to do you one iota good. I talked to my, my brother-in-law, who uh, is an elder in the church, this legalistic church that they go to, and I asked him, I said, what's your goal in life? He said, my goal is to have my grandkids to... Uh, to see their grandfather stand for the truth. And I said to him, because I knew where he was coming from, well, wouldn't it be better if your grandkids saw you having a deep relationship with Jesus? And he said to me, well, you've got to have that. I said, yeah, you sure do. Because folks, his whole life, he has spent arguing over the one scripture or another. And I, I, don't, I don't want to judge my brother-in-law or my family because all of them belong to, to this group of, of folks. But I can tell you this much, it doesn't matter how many scriptures you know, that's what Jesus says, unless the scriptures bring you closer to the Lord, you might just as well close your Bible up and, and start all over again. Because God wants you to honor his son. There's one body, one, one spirit, just as you were called to uh, one hope and of, of uh, your calling. 
one Lord, one faith. There's only one faith. One thing that we can believe in. That's that Jesus not only lived, but he died and rose again. One baptism. Now in the first service, we saw somebody baptized. You know, there's a big argument about, uh, about um, what this means. In fact, I was listening to a fellow commentator this last week, and he believes that this is spiritual baptism. And I keep thinking to myself, why in the world would Paul list this as a spiritual baptism when Jesus went over this with the disciples from the top to the beginning when he gave them the Great Commission? that they were to go into all the world to teach them, to baptize them, and continue to teach them. There is only one baptism. Listen, I stood on the steps of the temple area in Jerusalem. The same steps that the apostles preached the first gospel sermon. And I stood there with goosebumps running up and down my spine, thinking of 3,000 people coming forward to be baptized. And I'm and I thought, because you know Jerusalem and that area is very arid. There aren't very much water there. If you wanted to go fishing, you'd have to go all, travel all the way north to the Sea of Galilee if you wanted to catch any fish. Well, they have little mikvahs around, I think there's about seven of them. And then they, some have suggested that maybe there was even more of them. These 3,000 people, according to what Acts chapter 2 says, were baptized on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 of them. And then uh, Luke goes on to say that there was added to the church in chapter 4. And then in chapter 6, he says, and the church was multiplied. You know what? Because everybody felt like it was their responsibility to tell their neighbor about the Lord Jesus. Joe Ellis says it was like sparks of fire in dry grass. Everywhere they went, they told the whole world about the Lord Jesus. And they loved each other. So we have here one body, one spirit, one hope, <clears throat> one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all and in you all, through all and in all. And folks, listen. I, I contend that if it doesn't violate one of those ones, those are our essentials. I, I can't fellowship with you. I can meet with you. I, I can't call you a brother if you, if you will not ad, adhere to these things that Paul says. These are the essentials. Now, I had a lady some time ago say, well, Brother Charlie, what about, what about things like... Uh, um, eternal security and um, um, a, a number of other things that, that Calvin taught years ago. You, you know, uh, if you know anything about John Calvin, you know that Calvin had this little thing called tulip. Uh, total depravity was the first T. The L in, in tulip was limited atonement. Calvin did not believe that everybody was going to be saved. God wasn't going to save any, everybody. He didn't want to save everybody. Well, that's certainly not what Peter says. In 2 Peter, I believe, chapter 3, that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. So, you know, here's the thing. 
If, and, you know, I, I believe the early church, this church that we're talking about, this church that tried to restore themselves, just call themselves Christians, they refined things. There was a lot of things they had to refine, like the Lord's Supper. Now, I believe, and so did they, that, that the disciples and the early church met every first day of the week to take the Lord's Supper. And I'm telling you that if you do it right, your spiritual energy will come from being able to bow your head with a contrite heart and submit yourself to the Lord during the Lord's Supper. Some folks believe that you can take the Lord's Supper once a month, uh, once a, every six months or once a year. Now, folks, I, I, this may offend some of you. I don't know. Uh, my email is uh, deanyburns at uh, <laughs> libbymontana dot 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 com. So you can email me if you want to. But, you know, the bottom line is that we need to know that there are essentials that are things that we have to stick to. But in everything, we love each other. I love my charismatic friends. We have, uh, in Pablo, when we were there, we had, we had several people from the charismatic church that started coming. And one of the guys, of course, they're, they're native. Some of them are native, and you know, they, they know how to get excited. One of them had to stand up and preach a sermon every, every Sunday, and gosh, he would just get carried, carried away. In fact, it almost got so bad, I almost had to talk to him afterwards because he, I was afraid he was going to start rolling down the aisle. And, uh, you know, but folks, I believe, I believe that the church needs to know and love what the Holy Spirit does in our life. There are some churches that, that are like an iceberg. They would never sing these songs that we sung this morning. They're, they're not from the hymnal, and they're not scriptural, according to them. <clears throat> One fellow <clears throat> went to church uh, to visit one day, and he was one of those straight-laced, you know, kind of not-raise-your-hand kind of church and that kind of thing. And the uh, preacher got to waxing eloquent, and he raised his hand, Amen! I, I love it when somebody, let's everybody say amen. Can you do that? Amen. All right, you can do that. You can do that every once in a while when I preach if you want to. I still remember sitting in the in the uh, in the deacon and elders meeting, and I said, guys, when I, when I say something that you like, uh, uh, I would love for you to say amen. Deanie said, he probably doesn't even remember this, Deanie said, if you ever do, we will. <laughs> it's a wonder I hadn't quit that day. That, that's the kind of encouragement I got from him years ago. Um, there I go, losing my place again. What he, said, what he suggests here is that now, uh, now that you know about essentials, we want to move on to uh, uh, everybody having a gift. Let's read verses 7 through 11. Uh, but to each one... Uh, of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. 
Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? That he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. This is when, while Jesus uh, was, was in the tomb, he ascended into the deep parts of uh, the grave, and he brought back to heaven with him all those Jewish people from the Old Testament that uh, God wanted him to bring with him. But he said, uh, he, he, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets and evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. You've got to understand, they didn't have the Bible back in those days. So God gave special gifts, a special anointing to various other people. I was going to tell you about the, about the Spirit. You know, sometimes the restoration people are so afraid to say anything about the spirit because they're afraid well you know that just doesn't fit our our theology schedule fellow went to church and and the preacher got see i got sidetracked but now it's it's on the hard drive it just keeps coming back and uh, he went to church and this the preacher was preaching well and he loved uh, he loved it so he said amen one of the deacons came up to him and said sir you're going to have to be quiet and hold it down over here. Well, he said, I, 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 I liked what he said. Okay, but just hold it down. So he did that again. He, uh, he, uh, the preacher said something. And he said, amen, amen. And then uh, they asked him again. Now, you're, if, you, if you don't hold it down, we're going to have to ask you to leave. Well, the third time, he stood up, as a matter of fact. He couldn't hold himself anymore. He stood up and he said, amen. And the deacon came down and said, uh, Sir, you're going to have to leave. And he said, well, I've got the Holy Spirit. And the deacon said, well, if you do, you don't, didn't get him here. That's where some of our churches are. You know, wouldn't it be something if we, we weren't limited, so limited? You know, the older I get, the more I realize that the church has changed. We're no longer about so much education but we're about edification. In John 1, 14, Jesus came, John says, full of grace and truth. Not just truth. We love truth. But he came full of grace and truth. You know, I, when I went to uh, Bose Falls, I had uh, been preaching for, I don't know, 30 or 40 years. I hard for me to keep track. I'll have to ask Eileen, you know, how long she keeps track of it for me. But uh, I was listening to Jim and Aaron. This is when they first got started, and I'm thinking, I'm like, gosh, you know, uh, you know, they couldn't preach their way out of a paper bag. You know, I'm like, gee, whoa. You know, how come they don't sing better songs? I'm just, I'm just not led to worship. And it was almost, folks, like, like one day I had this overwhelming feeling. And I believe with all of my heart, God was saying, Charlie, why are you here? And folks, I sat there and cried for 20 minutes. I love worship. I love sitting and listening to songs, songs that lift the Lord up. And this this one that they sang it last year, that was a powerful song, folks. But anyway, Paul says here that when he ascended, uh, he gave gifts to everybody. Now, let me tell you something. Everybody has a gift. Now, those of you who have the gift of criticism, <laughs> God didn't give you that. You may have had problems when you grew up. 
And you may have had a strong father figure who, uh, who uh, developed some anger inside of you, and uh, it was not a good thing. Um, someone called them Ginnet hens. Ginnet hens. They fly around in the church and yell, I'm a Ginnet, I'm a Ginnet. You know, everything that's brought up, I'm a Ginnet, I'm a Ginnet, I don't want to do that. Well, that has, has caused more problems in our church than anything else. When you submit yourself to your leadership, as, as the writer in Hebrews chapter, um, I believe it's chapter 11, says in verse 7, that you should submit yourself to those who have authority over you because they give an account for your soul. Submit yourself to your leaders, but every one of you, and I'm going to hesitate for a second. Every one of you has a gift. If you're a Christian and you call yourself a follower of the Lord, you have a gift. Do you think these folks that were up here has, has a gift? Well, you ought to remind them about that every once in a while. Because I'm sitting by Deanie and I know that's not his gift. Now, he has lots of other gifts, but that is not one of them. I'll make up for that, Deanie, somewhere along the line. But folks, uh, in order to strengthen the church, God gave some to be apostles. These guys could lay their hands on people and raise the dead. They could do miracles. They could do wonderful things. The church needed that. They had to have that to be established. And he gave some of them to be uh, prophets. I think that what he's talking about here is those who foretell the, the gospel preachers rather than foretell the future, foretell the future. Foretellers were guys like myself who, who preach and, and uh, fill. Some evangelists, there are some people who still believe that that the gift of an evangelist leading people to the Lord is a, is a sacred gift and, and more power to them. The only problem is they don't do much, uh, they don't do any calling on people. I never understood that in my life. You know, preachers who, who uh, believe that they have this special ability to, to lead people to the Lord, and there are some who do. Jim Putman is one of those. Um, if he's around you for a while and you're not a Christian, He's going to help you figure out why. Uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily have that gift. I've led a lot of people to the Lord. A lot of people. We baptized a lot of people. When I came here uh, in, in 1983, the first year that I was here, I made 300 calls on, on different families. Those that had been and, and come or whatever. But, but leading people uh, to the Lord is one of my gifts. Counseling with people, empathizing with people is another one of my gifts. I, I, just, I just love people, particularly older people. You know, I just shared that with you. But he says that, that for the, here's why he gives us gifts. For the equipping of the saints, this is verse 14 or 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, I've had some people say to me, well, you know, Charlie, uh, God gave me uh, this uh, gift this special gift, and I just use it in my closet when I'm, when I'm by myself. And I have to tell them, oh, shame on you. 
That's not why he gave you a gift. He gives us gifts to edify, to build up the body. He didn't give you a gift to make you feel good. Now, when you help people, you automatically feel good. And then he says, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. Oh, listen, if I could, if I could superimpose something on you, one of the reasons that, that we have trouble with relationships is we don't know how to speak the truth in love. We know how to speak the truth. Boy, oh boy, I wouldn't wear that to a dog fight. Um, did you hear what he said up there today? Gosh, uh, that Danny Burns ought to get a different haircut as far as I'm concerned. You know, you can, you can speak the truth. If you think that's the truth, that isn't the truth, by the way. Uh, they, uh, Dini only pays his barber half price. You, you know that. Uh, I had a friend who had his wife. He, she was talking about him one day, and she said, You know, Charlie, uh, when he goes to have his mind read, they only charge him half price. Well, that's one of those time jokes. You'll get that as you go home today. <laughs> that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and conning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. Listen, truth without love is harsh, cold, prickly. Oh, you can, you can be one of those people go around telling people exactly what you think. That's not what Jesus would do. Or you can just love people and not tell them the truth at all. Love without truth has no foundation. But when you put the two of them together, they help, they help us edify each other. And I got to tell you, I have so many good memories about this church and the loving way that my family was treated while we were here. All of our kids graduated from high school here. They still consider this their spiritual home. All of our kids are in ministry. And a lot of that has to do with how they watch the church get along. How they were encouraged by watching people who were not only talking about Christianity, but they practiced what they preached. And I, I want you to know that I'll be eternally grateful, and so will the Lord's kingdom. I went down to uh, Colorado. Aaron and I do this sermon together called The Blessing from uh, John Trent and Gary Smalley's book by that name. And occasionally he has me come down and we, we preach. the. And I shared with them that there is no greater blessing in the world than for a dad to be able to preach with their son. In 3 John, verse 4, John says there's no greater blessing in the world than for me to see my children serving the Lord. 
When I listen to Frank, that little old Frank that grew up here in the church, who when he came to ask me for Pam's hand, he said, what do you expect from me, Charlie? And I said, well, Frank, I said, I have two things, you to take care of my daughter and always serve the Lord. And he said, well, that's not too much to ask. When I listen to that boy preach, my heart just melts. They're going to have a special day for him. They call, Some of them called me this last week. They're so thankful for Frank and, and for his family. Uh, gosh, I could just talk about Frank for the rest of the day, but uh, that's a sidetrack. Let's, let's look at uh, the rest of verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, may all grow up in things into him who is the head, Christ. You know why you need to restore your relationship? Because it will affect the body if you don't. If you're mad at somebody, you're not getting along with each other, you, you, you can't call yourselves Christians only. You uh, drink lemon juice before you come to church, you're going to go home just as sour as you were when you came. Verse 16, for whom the whole body fit, body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You know what? When a church loves on each other, when everybody is asking, what can I do? What part of the body am I? Help me figure out what it would look like if I, if I were a part of the, of the church body. If every person was, was doing that, and I know that many of you are doing that. I don't know about the rest of you. Some of you, I don't know. But I'm telling you right now, if, if you are part of the body, then the body, the part of the body that you are needs to help the body function. Today, as we think about our invitation time, I'm always fascinated when we think about what we call restoration history and the, and the folks who are going to lead us in our worship song or our invitation song can come forward at this time. But um, those of you who know anything about restoration history would recognize a fellow by the name of Alexander Campbell. There's a lot of names that we could talk about, men who sacrificed. Raccoon John Smith, he would yell and scream. Uh, you could hear him for a mile and understand him for a quarter of a mile, I'm told. Came home one day on his mule, had his bag uh, uh, on his mule. He had a meeting over in Indiana there somewhere. Threw his bag down, told his wife to wash uh, his clothes. And uh, uh, Raccoon said, uh, uh, she said, well, Raccoon John Smith, I don't have any use for you. And he said, well, honey, I got use for you. Wash my clothes because I got another meeting to go to. These men sacrificed to tell folks about this idea of just being Christians and honoring the Lord Jesus. When Thomas Campbell and uh, Alexander, his son, came, they were Presbyterians when they came to America. Not that there's anything wrong with Presbyterians. I know and love so many Presbyterians. But one of the things they did, they, they got hold of this idea. They're the ones who initially started this whole idea of let's just be Christians. Just call ourselves Christians and be not the only Christians, but Christians only. 
Alexander was brilliant. He was very smart. When his, uh, by the time he was nine, I believe, he had uh, much of the New Testament memorized. I think in his teenage years, I don't remember exactly, uh, he had much of the Old Testament memorized. But his plea always was, how can we serve together? What can we do together? Alexander was offered a job, a teaching job, because of his brilliance at a college of the, uh, whose president was the father of his girlfriend. They were planning on getting married. And so she said to him one day, Alexander, if you don't take this job, you and I are finished. Cochrane writes this book about Alexander's life called The Fool of God. And he hung his head, I guess, and said, well, let me go pray about it. And so Alexander went off somewhere and he prayed about it for a while and he came and knocked on the door. And when she came back, or when he came back, she came to the door and he said, I believe that God has called me to be a minister. And she said, Alexander Campbell, you're a fool. Now, folks, that fool of God was able to lead hundreds and thousands of people to a simple message of the gospel of just being Christians and loving the Lord Jesus for who he is. He uh, served in, in debates and all kinds of other things, helping people understand this New Testament principle of just simply calling ourselves Christians and serving the Lord. You know, I've had revivals in many states in, in our country. Uh, I have preached lots of sermons in which I would try my best to encourage people to come forward and accept the Lord. And hundreds, I would say, not very many hundreds, but some have come during these revivals and everybody would rejoice. I don't know where you are. I just know this, that the greatest battles in our life are not fought and won on a battlefield somewhere, but the greatest battles are fought and won in our heart. Jesus wants to be your Lord. And the only thing that's keeping you from serving him right here in this church, and what a church you have to be able to serve in. Good leadership, good guys who make good sound decisions. The only thing that's holding you back is for you to come and say, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of playing second fiddle. I still remember this couple years ago who heard a sermon that the preacher preached and they knew that they were not as committed as they needed to be. The fellow was in his 60s when they came. He uh, came forward and acknowledged Jesus as Lord and was baptized that very day. In the next six years, he lived six years longer after that. But his neighbor came over one day and said, what's going on in your life? Something different about you. He was able to share with him about what Jesus had done in his life. And before he died, he and his wife had led seven people 
to the Lord Jesus. Will the gospel start as a little fire in your heart? All it takes is for you to have the courage to come forward and stand here with Deanie and say, you know what, I'm tired of, I'm tired of playing second fiddle. I'm tired of not giving my life to the Lord Jesus. Today, we're going to give you an opportunity to be brave and come and ask for someone to pray with you if that's where you are. I don't know where you are, but I can tell you, folks, that the Holy Spirit wants you to come. Jesus wants you to come. And the Lord wants you to be a, a part of things in which you can serve him in a real way and not just sit in a pew and listen. Be a spiritual vacuums. When you suck, 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 suck all this spiritual stuff into your life, and as soon as you walk out the door, you just, and you go back to your own life. None of you want to live there. I don't. My wife and I have talked about how many more years we're going to have left. And when we stand before the Lord, not only do we want our kids and grandkids to be as faithful as we are, hopefully, but we want the Lord to be there to welcome us home and say, Charlie, well done. Good and faithful servant. 